Paul had an interesting progression of faith himself. The first thing that starts in verse 9 of this passage is this call to pray for. Then it moves into the blessing and hope that we might be worthy and that there might be a bearing of fruit from that worthiness and finally that we might be made strong. Let's take each of these elements of this passage as it moves through in this first chapter and with Paul consider the progression of faith. The idea of praying for. I'm going to confess to you and I'm going to trust that you will echo some of my own words here. I don't know exactly how prayer works. I know that it works, but I don't know how it works. And this is true for the biblical authors as well. There are a lot of different perspectives on prayer. What we do know is the value of prayer cannot be overstated. We also know prayer can be abused. We know, because many of us have done this in our prayers, in the way Paul words it, I am praying, we, Timothy and I, are praying for you and the knowledge of God's will in your lives. Now, this can be a little scary. When you think about, first of all, the, the will of God for my life, I hear people all the time, folks come to me saying, I've been praying for God's will for my life. I need to know what God's will for my life is. I can't find God's will for my life. What is God's will for, somebody tell me. And it can create this inordinate amount of stress as though there's this special and individuated path that only I can travel if I just find out what God's will for my life is. But if I miss God's will for my life, all is lost we examine the scriptures carefully, we see that God is pretty flexible in our own foolishness and inability to discern wisdom, to discern what it is that is needed from my life and your life. Now, what some of us have experienced in prayer also in this idea of God's will is the sense of thinking we have it figured out, which is equally troubling. And I've heard prayers like this, Lord, help them to understand your will for their lives like you have been so generous and gracious to me. Thank you for helping me figure it out. Thank you for making me so good and wise and acceptable in your sight. And may others be equally blessed. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the kind of prayer that we can stumble into when we think about the knowledge of God's will for our lives. So Paul uses this other phrase, 
spiritual wisdom. I'm praying, we are praying, Timothy and I are for you in the church in Colossae and for you and me. This idea of praying for, lifting others up so that we all together are struggling with this sense of spiritual wisdom. What is it we're supposed to do as individuals and as a community of faith? How can we best use our resources? How can we best use what God has given to us so graciously? Lord, give me the kind of spiritual wisdom. Lord, give them the spiritual wisdom necessary for them to live good and rich lives for you. This is the healthy prayer that really Paul is sort of modeling, and it's important to remember Paul's own spiritual journey because he began with that perspective I just verbalized, thinking he had had it figured out, living zealously for the Lord, Paul's own confession. I thought I knew what God's will for my life was, and I was so far off base. So now this is really a word of humility in the midst of truth. We're praying for you that you might not stumble into the same mistakes that I made, but that you find spiritual wisdom, deeper understanding. This is the other word that Paul uses through the movement of this text. Another word of understanding and spiritual wisdom is a word that my father used to say, if you pray for anything specifically for yourself, pray for discernment. There is nothing more important in our spiritual journey than the power and importance of discernment. The word comes from the Latin word disere, which means to separate or to take apart. You think about how many of you have ever when faced with a major decision and you've prayed about it, you've wondered about it, you've tried to figure it out, and then someone somewhere along the way said, take a sheet of paper, make two columns, put pros and cons, the pluses and the minuses, and make a list. And then once you've made the list and you take apart what it is you're working on, you'll have a better sense of how to make a decision. In other words, you will have a discerning spirit about what it is that you need to be doing in your life. Praying for, it's praying for ourselves, but it's also this beautiful gift of praying for others. It is hard to hate someone you are praying for. The hard call in the biblical text repeatedly, this idea of loving your enemy, which is extraordinarily hard, can begin with a prayer for the person that you have trouble understanding or liking. It's hard to hate someone you're praying for. Praying for and then moving further into this important knowledge of God's will and spiritual discernment and understanding, we're praying that you will be made worthy, which also is a sort of spiritual word that generally means fully pleasing to God. May you be living your life that is pleasing and good in God's sight. Another way of saying that is a preacher friend of mine in her sermon one time said, I want to live the kind of life that will make God smile. I love that image. That's being made worthy, living in a way that makes God smile. Now, some of you are aware that this year for the first time, we had a booth on Pride Weekend in October 
And this booth was in Piedmont Park with all the other booths during Pride Weekend. It was the first time we'd done this. We did it in conjunction with a few other churches. And it so happened that several folks from our congregation were in the booth at the time uh, offering hospitality and greeting people. It said First Baptist Church of Decatur. And a young family came walking up, a father and his daughter and her girlfriend. She, the father's daughter, had come out in high school. She was now a junior in college and asked her father if he would go with her to Pride Weekend in Piedmont Park. And he said, I sure will. And they were walking together and happened upon this booth on Pride Weekend in Piedmont Park that said First Baptist Church of Decatur. And they went up to that booth and two members from our congregation greeted them The father introduced his daughter and her girlfriend, and they were embraced, and there was talking and laughter and conversation that went on for quite a while. The father and daughter and her girlfriend walked away, and the daughter said to the father, and he told me this story and gave me permission to share it. She said to him, I didn't know there were Christian churches that still loved people like me. Would it be okay if over Christmas break we go together to First Baptist Church of Decatur to visit? He told me that story and said, you need to know how much this act of kindness and compassion meant. Brothers and sisters, I believe this makes God smile. This, to me, is being worthy, and it is also the first step of bearing fruit in the world. This image of this time of year is so important where the harvest celebration takes place and we give thanks and express gratitude for the fact that we have been richly blessed. In the olden days, of course, it was a blessing because of a harvest that will get us through a hard winter. And now we simply say we're, we're grateful for this multitude of blessings that we can't even really fathom and describe and even recount sometimes. The idea of bearing fruit, by the way, this is a a photo of the green market in Skopje, Macedonia, and the fruit, can you tell what this fruit is in the foreground? Anybody know what that is? Pomegranates. Pomegranates are an important biblical fruit. In Jewish tradition, the pomegranate is a sacred signal, a sacred sign, a metaphor of something really important. And here's the the tradition in Judaism. The pomegranate is said to have 613 seeds. Some of you may have counted the seeds of a pomegranate. 613. Now, I had a person in Bible study say, are there really 613 seeds in every single pomegranate? I don't know. I've never counted even one. I just trust my Jewish brothers and sisters. This has been a very important metaphor of spiritual truth over the centuries. A pomegranate represents the law of God. 613 laws in the Old Testament. Pomegranate, 613 seeds. Pomegranate, extraordinarily healthy, good for you. The laws of God, keeping us within the boundaries of faith, helping us learn how to treat one another and care for one another. This idea of bearing fruit doing good work in the world together and growing in the knowledge 
and the wisdom of God. Some of you know that about three months ago, Isabel Wilkerson stood right where I'm standing and addressed our sanctuary on a Tuesday night to a packed house. Isabel Wilkerson introduced as one of the great scholars of our time in examining race relations and the history of, of this struggle we've had over the centuries in our country. Her first incredible book, uh, The Warmth of Other Suns, and her most recent book, both Pulitzer Prize winning offerings, Cast, are vital readings for us to understand the broader perspective of our country and the struggle that we've had to figure out how to do racial justice and live together in beauty and in truth. After, sure, after her incredible presentation, there was a Q&A time where people were asking questions at microfo microphones, and one of the questions was, what's one of the hardest truths that you've uncovered in your research and in your books? Immediately she said two things. The first is the tremendous tragedy of the African-American experience where for decade after decade after decade, talent was suppressed. People were pushed down and aside. She said, think of all the, the young talent that could have emerged. Medical advances, scientific insights, all kinds of things that, that people, a part of that African-American community that was so suppressed for so long could have been contributing to society. She said, that's a tragedy. Thousands and thousands of people were never able to fulfill the good work that God wanted them to do, to bear fruit in the world because they were not allowed and pushed aside and held back. She said, the other thing, the other tragedy is the people that were doing the holding down. Sadly, the, the white folks that were hate-filled and doing all they could to suppress the other folks. She said, it's equally tragic because those folks missed the hope and the goodness that God had for their lives because of their hatred that held them back. These are equally tragic. Think of the people in the white community that never became what God needed them to become because they were so distracted by making fun of others, pushing people down and holding them back. What a tragedy, she said. This idea of growing in the knowledge of God and doing good work, bearing fruit, is a beautiful thing, this idea of praying for one another, that together we will be worthy, together all of us will be bearing good fruit and doing the right thing and the good thing. In the background of this passage in Colossae, this church, there, was some, there were problems, and we need to acknowledge that most of the Bible has emerged from situations of difficulty and crisis, of anger and hurt. And part of what 
Paul is trying to address. Over the last three weeks, we were covering the, the little letter that Paul sent to the church in Philippi, or Philippians, we know the letter as. And there were problems in that church as well, but that's more of a love letter, a, a letter where Paul is expressing gratitude, which is unique and unusual in all the letters, because this church in Colossae, Paul is also expressing gratitude, thanksgiving. There's great appreciation for the interaction that they've had and the, the culture that is emerging in this church. And there are serious issues that Paul's having to address. He calls on them to bear fruit and be worthy and pray for one another and be strong. Because of the issues in that church and in the broader society, it was hard to do the right thing, to be loving, to be caring. Part of this issue for all of us in being strong and growing strong is speaking up and telling the truth. You are as painfully aware as I am that bullying has become a thing. Key members of our society are bullies to one another. We are witnessing bullying winning a lot of battles, silencing a lot of voices, hurting a lot of lives. This was going on in the church in Colossae and other churches where Paul had to speak the truth and say there's a much better way of being with one another. Part of it is being patient with each other, but sometimes you have to just tell somebody, wait a minute, that's not right. Hold on a second. That's incorrect information. Just a minute. I don't think that's the way we need to be treating one another. Hold on just a second. That is inappropriate. The incivility that all of us experience, whether by watching television playing out before us in the political arena or just in our regular interactions of people that we find ourselves wanting to respond in kind. We get bullied. We want to bully right back. It sadly is a contagious problem, can be. It's not just a matter of enduring with patience. There's a better way. Paul says. How about we all stop for a moment and count our blessings? How about we all stop for a moment and give thanks for what it is that we've shared? And not just give thanks, but give thanks with a sense of joy. To break through the silliness and pettiness and the hurt and sometimes the desire to inflict hurt. Paul knows what he's talking about because he describes himself in his own confession in 1 Timothy as somebody who did this to other people. Before my conversion, he says, I was a horrible person, and I thought I knew God's will, and I didn't. I was wrong. And now I pray for you that you won't make the same mistake. I pray for you that you will pray for others and that all of us will be made worthy, will bear fruit, will be strong, will be good and give thanks. May it be so, brothers and sisters. Amen.